Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning we're going to take a look at Psalm 2. We're going to look at the year 2022. Psalm 2, and we are going to begin reading in verse 1. I want us to look at a message today entitled, I get it, it's got to look good on camera, all of this. I want us to look at a message today entitled, What We Can Expect in 2022. Now, I'm not a soothsayer, so as far as particular events, there may be a whole lot of things happened this year, just like they were last year, that we didn't expect and had no clue that will happen. But there are some things that we do know for certain. And the psalmist helps us with them. He begins with the word in the Hebrew, which is lama. Uh, we translate it why. It means to what. Lama, lama, sabachthani, remember Jesus on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? That was Aramaic, but it's very akin to that. Why? That's a word, a question we're usually told not to ask. He kind of asked it in a rhetorical way because he asked this, why are the nations in an uproar? If you really translated that literally as, as it says and try to give it the meaning of each word, he is saying, why are the Gentiles, the Goyim, we call them the nations. In the New Testament Greek, it's the ethne. But it's the nations, those outside of Israel, those people that are not of God and don't serve God. He says, why are the nations so restless, literally, is what he's saying. And the people, are the peoples devising a vain thing or making plans that are absolutely worthless the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying he who sits in heaven laughs the lord scoffs at them and then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, God says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He is talking about his son. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will Surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. 
and you shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Imagine a rod of iron frailing away at pottery. He says, Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Get some wisdom about yourself. He's talking to the rulers of the world. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord and do it with reverence and rejoicing and also with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He may not become angry and you perish in the way for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Poet Robert Browning from England wrote one time, not famous line for him, God is in his heaven and all is right with the world. I'm not sure exactly what news channel he had been watching. Of course, he was born in 1812. About all we had back then was 13 from Asheville. Born in 1812, a war that would start. He was born in May, and in June, there would be a war start in the United States, the War of 1812. Oh, it wasn't the only one. It certainly wasn't the first one. Things actually had not been well on the earth, weren't well on the earth, and still are, as far as this earth is concerned. They're not very well at all. There's a limerick, I don't know who wrote it, but... It says, God's plan made a hopeful beginning, but man spoiled his chances by sinning. We trust that the story will end in God's glory, but at present, the other side's winning. I don't know that they're winning, but I can tell you it sure seems like it sometimes. That's why we have to come back to the scriptures for perspective. That's why before we get very deep into 2022, we need to make sure that we understand some things that are going to be certain in this next year. There's just no doubt about them. Things that I believe that will help us. But we should understand that as far as humankind is concerned, there have been problems, there always will be problems. James Boyce wrote a book years ago called The Last and Future World. In it, he talked about that one of the oldest pieces or artifacts that we have found, it was a piece of pottery. Uh, it's called a bas relief. I not much, don't know that much about all of that, but I know that bas means below, like basement, and relief means raised. And it was a way that they would carve in pottery, but it'd be inverted. The letters or the pictures would rise out from, the, from it in a bas-relief. He said this, We found one of the oldest artifacts that we've ever found in the history of the world. It dates all the way back to at least 3,000 years B.C. That's over 5,000 years ago. And you would think maybe it was a picture of a guy farming or maybe a couple getting married or whatever, but no, it's a picture, and it's one of the oldest pictures we have, so to speak, of humankind, and it's a picture of soldiers fighting in close order. 
They're wearing helmets. And they're carrying shields. And they're killing each other. And that's one thing about the world that seems to have never changed. Years ago we had a war called the War to End All Wars. And that was World War I. We didn't know to call it World War I then. But we would soon learn because there would be another war. In World War I, we lost about 20 million human lives. But in World War II, after the war to end all wars was over, we lost 60 million lives. We have perfected killing each other. We're not too good at making peace. And then when we look at our world and we look at our leaders and we suppose that they should be the brightest and the best that we have, but that's not always true either. Asaph, uh, you remember Asaph's fables, he lived about 550 B.C. if he really did exist at all, but he was a Greek philosopher. He said this, this is 550 B.C. to let you know how long it's gone on. He says, we hang the petty thieves and appoint the great ones to office. And that was a long time ago. And, and I, I want to just pause for a second and, and chase a rabbit if I may. But when I think about Aesop, I was never told this in school. We talk about Aesop and Aesop's fables. And uh, he had an anthropomorphic way, we call it, of writing about animals. He'd give them human characteristics and all of that. Do do you know that we were taught about Aesop and his fables and all of his writings, boy, as if we just had volumes of his works in a library somewhere? Do you know that we don't even have, not just a word, we don't even have a letter he chiseled into a wall somewhere? As a matter of fact, some doubt that he even exists. Now, the reason I say that to you is because maybe somebody just collected these and and made up a name, Aesop, or whatever. But we are treated, we treat him as if, oh no, we we know him. We quote him like Mark Twain. and, and, And we act like, oh yeah, he definitely lived and we know when and all of that. It is amazing to me that we would do that with Aesop's fables, but when it comes to the Bible, and we have so many resources that go back so far that, that support the truth of Scripture, and yet we shred it, and we act like, well, this might be true, that might not be true, we don't know for sure. But when we look at other people like Plato, whom we have very little of any of his works, we know very little about these guys Uh, We speak of them as if they died last week. So it's not just our leaders that have lost their focus on God and have decided to follow their own intelligence and do it their own way. It's just common everyday people as well. So I could go on, but why? We already know. The world is in a mess. Here's the question. So what is the church to do? And I think to answer that, One of the best things to do is go back and look and see what the church did. And I know we're in the Old Testament, but we are in the psalm that is quoted more often in the New Testament than any other psalm. Would you have gotten that right on a trivia test? I'd have bet money on Psalm 23 perhaps, maybe Psalm 1, maybe Psalm 100. 
maybe Psalm 150, but not Psalm 2. But Psalm 2 is quoted more than any other, and there's two reasons for that. One, it has a very high view of Christ. This, this psalm here, yes, it is written about King David and him going to the throne, but then it begins to reach much further than anything King David himself could do. God speaks about David and then begins to talk about the son of David, his own son that one day he would put on the throne. It has a high view of Christ. And the early church had a tremendously high Christology. Now don't just let those words kind of take you off course. It's High Christology just means that they really had confidence in who Christ said he was. As a matter of fact, one of the signs of a cult and there are about five that are fundamental. We'll talk about them maybe sometime. But one of them is they have a weak Christology. Christ in a, most of these cults, if you look at the Mormons or you look at the Jehovah's Witnesses and people like that, they don't see Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He said He was. His Father said He was. The Bible talks about it from one end to the other. But when you have a weak Christology, you begin to doubt, really, was he the Son of God? Is he the Son of God? Uh, is he really divine? Is he fully divine? You get to going down that road and people like Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell and people like that begin to lead you astray. A weak Christology will do that. Psalm 2 has a high view of Christ. Secondly, it also addresses the church's encounter. It addresses some issues that the church would find itself going through. And, and let me just give you a great example of this. I'm, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from Acts 4. They're going to quote this song. In Acts 4, Peter and John had been arrested. They beat the living tar out of them. They threatened them, told them they'd kill them if they kept on preaching and all of that. And they got back to the church and of course you know the church told them you boys need to settle down need to fit in need to get more pc well of course not that would be the modern church here's what the early church did says in verse 23 of acts 4 i'll just read it when they had been released they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them and when they heard this they lifted their voices to god with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said, Ah, here they are. Why do the Gentiles rage? And why do the people, the people that are of this world, why do they plan futile Things. The kings of the earth have taken their stand and the rulers were gathered together. And they all came together against the Lord and against His Christ. And they went on and said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They all came against you. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They thought they were in charge. You were only allowing them to do whatever it is you wanted them to do. You were in charge all along. 
In verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, get this, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's how we have to react, my friend. It teaches us in Psalm 2 how the church had to face so much uncertainty and difficulty. So let's take a look at it. If the early church looked at it, if the early church used it, if they sang it like it was a song, if when they got in trouble they prayed and said, God, don't just help us fit in or, or Lord, don't just give us the perfect words to say so people will be accepting or blah, blah, blah. They said, no, let us speak with even more boldness. And God so honored the prayer, he shook the place. So let's take a look at it. What can we expect in 2022? Three things. Number one, you can count on it, the rage of the heathen. Now it gets better toward the end, okay? So if I kill over up here, somebody just drag me off and somebody come finish this, okay, Brother Mike? Because I don't want to die right here. Let's get to the end of this. You can count on the rage of the heathen, though. They've been raging for thousands of years, and they're going to keep on raging. As a matter of fact, sin that started with individuals early in the book of Genesis, man, along by Genesis 11, the nations have come together. That's where this word nations comes from. People gathered together, and wickedness and fist shaking toward God and hatred toward the Almighty Creator, it began to get more organized. And they decided to build them a tower, and we'll get to heaven another way. We'll just build our own selves a way there. And then on top of that, they said, we'll build a great name for ourselves, and we're going to pull ourselves together. And we will be awesome, and we will be Almighty. And then one morning, somebody came in and asked for a hammer and... Someone says, Je vous en prie. That was the French people that showed up. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They had beaucoup travail, lots of work to do, but they couldn't understand each other. Man, that's rough on a, con- a, a work site, man, when you uh, can't understand the language. But God separated them. But it was all the way back at the Tower of Babel that the nations really got their start and really began to come together and congregate in groups to come against God. The rage of the heathen will have it. One, it says they're restless. We talked about that word. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why are they so restless? The nations were the Gentiles. They were the non-Jews. They were the people who were not Israelites, the Goim. And you and I need to understand something, and it's not very politically correct, but I'm not known for that, and neither is the Word of God. There are some people that are not God's people. Did you know that? We've almost quit preaching that. There are some people that are not God's people. Oh, we want to say, oh, we're all God's children. Where did you read that? 
Where did you read that? That's not in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus from his own lips said one time, he said, some of you are of your father, the devil. And that's why you act like him and talk like him, because he is your father. This universalist idea that we're all the people of God, we need to get over that before 2022 even gets a start. We don't need to expect certain people to act like they know God. We should not turn on the news and just be so bewildered. If they're acting like animals, if they're acting like depraved sinners that have no idea about decency or God or holiness, and they don't seem to care, don't be surprised. Most people in this world don't know God. They don't have a relationship with Him. And he says they devise worthless plans. Boy, we have summits and get-togethers where we fly all these uh, private jets to one location in the world to talk about global warming. How dumb is that? But we do all of those kinds of crazy things, have all of these meetings and stuff, and, and we come away, and then you just look at the leadership that we wind up with and the ideas that, that come out of some of those meetings. My goodness, a lie. David asked, the psalmist asked, he said, why are they raging and why do they get together? They actually have meetings. And they plan things that are absolutely worthless. The ideas they come up with, the answers for the world that, that, that they agree upon are absolute foolishness. That's why they're so restless. they got problems they can't solve. They secondly are ridiculous. Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. They come against God. Can you imagine fighting God? Oh, we have all these weapons nowadays. <laughs> Shoot, surely we're ready to take on God by now. we got missiles and underwater this and that, and then we can shoot you from outer space and all of that. We got all kinds of cool things like that nowadays. And, and what we don't have, China has. And they worry about what we have that they don't have. And boy, I'm telling you, technology has really moved on. It's amazing the technology and funding we have put into how can we kill more people. <laughs> how depraved we are. Now, I understand sometimes war is necessary. We have to protect against the enemy. But I, I'm just... Telling you, our, our, our world gets together. But when they begin to shake their fist at God, they are fools. And they wouldn't say they're in a fight with God, but that's exactly what they're in a fight with. They're fighting against God, and especially, it says, and his anointed. That's his son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed you can talk about God with a little G till the cows come home? But when you talk about Jesus Christ as being the Savior of the world, that's when you get kicked out of the club. We can't stand that. We won't handle that. We can't have that. You can pray some generic prayer to whatever, a higher power or your understanding of deity or whatever. You can do that all you want to. And they, that's why they tell us, oh, we've got freedom of religion. We do. But when you begin to preach, though, about we have a Savior, well, that means we need to be saved from something. And that means we're sinners. And no one can save except for God. And the only place to find forgiveness is at the cross and when you began to preach that that's when trouble begins to brew 
Think about telling God, you just meet us outside. Fighting God. <laughs> I, I know I've used this example before. In 535 A.D., near Indonesia was a volcano called Krakatoa. It's erupted quite a few times, but in 535 A.D., of course, CNN was there. A wolf had dark hair, blitzer, I mean. Krakatoa exploded. Just from the scientific data we've been able to collect from that time. For one, we know that the sun was darkened for a couple of years. I don't mean like black dark. But I mean darkened to the point that crops all over the world failed. And I find this very interesting. One of the things that helped to finish crumbling the Roman Empire, which did fall just about this time, was the agrarian culture, the agriculture of that day, people's ability to be able to grow their own food worldwide was decimated for several years just because of the dust it blew into the air. How powerful was it? Well... I love this quote. I've shared it with you before, but it was the equivalent of 2,000 million atomic bombs the size that we dropped on Hiroshima. So God says, you bring one, I'll bring 2,000 million. And we'll meet outside and get this straightened out. How foolish. And when you look back at history, do we not ever learn anything? Have you not seen the videos of when Mussolini would walk out and it looked like all of Italy would stand to its feet and cheer and, and he would talk and, boy, get them all worked up and he had so much power and he entered into these agreements with Adolf Hitler and, and they came together there. Some of these had these meetings David talked about. And at the end of Mussolini's life, you know how he died? Some of you, I'm sure, do. They hung him up at a gas station upside down and shot him and his wife full of holes. Because they caught him trying to slip out of town in a German uniform. What a coward. Oh, there's pictures of that. Not much to look at. How do you go from being able to just raise your hands and all your whole nation come to their feet to that? It's, it's what happens to these crazy people. Adolf Hitler, he died like a coward after having all of that power and all of that might and the ability just to wipe out people with the snap of his fingers and yet he dies in a bunker just drugged out of his mind, finally commits suicide. Gaddafi, I remember uh, Muammar Gaddafi, remember him? Colonel Gaddafi, I always wondered why wasn't he a general? Because he's the one that gave himself all those medals. I'd have gone four star. But you remember the uniforms he used to wear? Had all of these medals on there. Though he, when you can make them up yourself, you can just you know, Colonel Gaddafi. He was something else in Libya and all of that. You remember? Have you seen the pictures of 
right before the guy pulled the trigger, blew his head off. He looked like an animal. How do these people go from such power to such sadness? Saddam Hussein swinging from a rope. How do they go from here to here? It's because they dare to shake their fist in the face of God. And they think they can fight anybody with their own power. We should learn a lesson. They're restless, they're ridiculous, they're rebellious. Verse 3 says, let us, they, they're saying, let us tear these fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want rules. We don't want regulations. We don't want God telling us what to do. So you just look at our world. We've looked at history, but if you look at in our world today, pregnancy is considered, a, well, that's the downside to just having sex anytime you want. So we figured out a way to eliminate that, and we've killed ourselves, 60 million human beings since 1973. We don't even like gender. I mean, when you really, when you don't want to be gendered, I mean, who would have ever thought we'd have had that in, in, in that tense, gendered? You know, I don't want to gender my children. I'm going to let them grow up and decide for themselves. Whew. Boy, were we brilliant or what? And we're told that the ones who push all of that, that they are the party of science. Give me a break. Until you can figure out male and female, I'm not going to take a whole lot of advice from you. Could you imagine going to a doctor and him asking you, are you male or female? I'd be done. I'd go, it doesn't matter. I'm getting my hat. I got to go. I thought that was like first or second year medical school right there. Marriage. We've made a mockery of it because it's cords, it's ties, it's binding. It controls our lives. So you either live in a marriage where you're not really married, but you say you are because you can't bring yourself to divorce. You're too big a coward to do that. So you just live in a marriage where, uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but you just live in a marriage where you're not really married. You don't really act like a husband or a wife or whatever, but you don't like those cords. You don't like those restraints. You don't like somebody telling you what to do. So it's just kind of in name only, and we make a mockery out of it. Robberies, things that go on in our country, the snatch and grab business where people just break in stores and do whatever they want to do. We set records all over America this year in our major cities with murder, things like that. Casting the, get the cords off of us. We don't care about human life. We don't even care about our own lives. We don't want to be restrained. I can promise you, you can count on this year the rage of the heathen. Secondly, you can also count on a reaction from heaven. First of all, in verse 4, it says that God is amused. God's amusement, he points out in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Three times in Scripture, all in the Psalms, Psalm 2, 37 and 59, it says that God laughs in derision at these people. Could you imagine that? It's really like a little toddler running up to a grown man and saying something funny like I'm going to beat you up and, and, and you know the man just plays with the kid and it's just you know it's just funny it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it, th that man's not going to go home and go I don't know what I'm going to do that kid I, man he threatened my life 
You think God is in heaven going, ooh, ooh, they had a meeting down there and they got atomic weapons. Ooh. God laughs, the psalmist says. His amusement. And then also we see his anger. That's another reaction that he had in verse 5. And he will speak to them in his anger, terrifying them in his fury. Man, we give God tons of emotions, but anger is not one we talk about much. Anger. Righteous indignation. We should fear God. But we should remember. And we do preach this. And I wish the world could grasp it. At the cross you can find forgiveness for sin. In hell all you will find is punishment. But you can't just make hell disappear because it doesn't fit into your psyche. Because intellectually it just doesn't make sense. And I have tons of questions about hell. I, I, it's, boy, it's just hard to even fathom that. Of course, it's hard to even fathom heaven. And I understand all of that. But I'm just telling you, God is a, he is a God of righteousness. But God is, it, he says, it's not my will that any should perish. In the book of Ezekiel, he says, I don't take joy in the death of the wicked. It's not something that I relish in. It's not something that I want. I have made a way, and that way is Jesus Christ. Meet him at the cross and get forgiveness of your sins. There's no forgiveness in hell. There's just punishment. But Jesus took the punishment at the cross. And if you meet Him there and you are willing to take up your own cross and die to self and humbly let Him be your Savior, He will give you His righteousness as a gift of grace so that you can have eternal life and live with God. Why would you not meet Him there? God's anger, His amusement. He also has an answer Verse 6, but as for me, I have installed my king. He's talking about his son upon Zion, my holy mountain. The answer is, as we just said, Jesus Christ. He's not pleading with men, please accept my son as king. He says, no, he's already king. He's already king of kings and he's already lord of lords. Psalm 2 doesn't give men the option of deciding whether or not Jesus is really God or that Jesus is really the Savior of the world or that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is not an option and a menu of choices. This is not a very PC psalm, I can just tell you. There's no choices about it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is holy God. He is, he is very God. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. We have the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I can't explain it. I can't put it in terms that, that will make sense logically. You just really have to let God uh, kind of express himself that way. Realize he's not a human being. Because sometimes we're trying to figure out, well, how could I be three different people? How could I be this and that? And I think some people must think they do have some ability for that because a lot of them will tell me, well, I wasn't there Sunday in body, preacher, but I was there in spirit. If we don't see your body here, we're going to assume your spirit's not here either, okay? 
Because I can tell you something, when my, bi- when my spirit, it's just a little insight here, okay? I'm going to give you some personal, I'm going to peel back the covers here. When my spirit gets in that bass boat and heads toward Hartwell, one of them mornings when the water's like glass, there's a little bit of mist on it. And you throw that old top water over there next to that stump. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And it hits the water and all of a sudden, she, because with fish, with bass, the females are always the big fat ones. And that's as far as I'm going with that. (laughs) She hits that bait and it looks like you threw the trolling motor in the water. And that rod bends double. I'm going to tell you, when my, do you feel it drifting off? My spirit's headed toward the bass boat right now. <laughs> when my spirit gets in the old bass boat, it ain't long till the rest of me's in there too. I digress, I know. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the answer for the world. There's not going to be another one. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. We don't have to like it, but if we embrace it, it can change our life forever. Well, last of all, there's rage of the heathen. We're going to have that this year. I doubt they're going to stop. Now, prove me wrong. Maybe AOC tonight will be on Fox News giving her testimony about how she got saved this morning. I had to get water ready for that one. I hope she does, because God can save her. If he can save me, he can save her. Absolutely, he can save anybody. I'm going to guess, though, unless the Lord comes back, we can count on the heathen will rage this year. Heaven will respond. Do you notice it says God will sit? I don't want to press something out of the text here. But it says he's sitting on the throne. I mean, he don't even stand up. It's not like he's in a hurry or he's pacing the floor up there. He don't even stand up for all this. He remains seated on his throne, laughing at people who are inviting him out for a fight. Thirdly, the refuge of hope. We'll have that this year, too. We'll have the rage of the heathen, the response of heaven. We'll also have a refuge of hope. In verse 10, God calls, first of all, he says, you need to be wise. You need to be wise. He says, now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, judges of the earth. He says, show some discernment. Show some wisdom. You, you, you think about the three major powers in the world right now. Think about who leads Russia, think about who leads China, and think about who leads us. Could the three of them fix a flat tire? They lead the world. God says, get some wisdom about yourself. Quit making stupid decisions. That's what he's trying to trying to tell us Jesus is the only hope in this world. He says, just be wise about it. 
I read the coolest story one time about one of Billy Graham's interpreters from Russia. When he was in Russia, uh, Pastor Nikolov, if I was saying that right, and I may not be, it's the only part of his name they would give, but he was for years Billy Graham's translator when he went to Russia. And someone asked this translator one time, what makes Billy Graham's preaching so powerful? And of course, we know it was anointed by God. We got all of that. He was a faithful servant of the Lord. But let me tell you what he said that I thought was interesting. Talking about seeking wisdom, having some common sense. He said, it is the way he presents the message. He says, when you listen to Billy Graham, he preaches in such a way that you can only come to one conclusion. If I am a normal person, I must say yes to Jesus Christ. If I am a thinking individual, then I must accept Jesus Christ. He said the hearer is forced to ask himself this question. Am I normal or am I crazy? He said, because when Billy Graham preached, he said, if you are normal, you came away knowing you must accept Jesus Christ. And I know that Billy Graham died with probably one of the greatest reputations, and and he had, it seemed like, very few enemies. But had he lived a few years longer, I can tell you, his absolute stance that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with God, that would have caused him more than a little consternation. Just in the last few years, that has become absolutely divisive and, and it's, it, it's, it's politically incorrect and it is something the world hates to hear. And I know there are a lot of people that, that are not even right with God, but oh, they love old Billy Graham. But I want to tell you, and I, I, I loved Billy Graham too and I, I loved his preaching, but man, I, I don't think people realize how politically incorrect he was. He never preached that there was some other way. And he never preached that it's okay to leave this world lost. He said if you die, you die and go to hell. But he would continually preach that you need Jesus and that Jesus loves you and that Jesus died for you and that Jesus wants to save you from your sins. And he really would leave you thinking that if you leave here tonight without knowing him, you are a fool. are a fool. Wow. I read this week, just in some of my reading, I came across a pastor who had been to Washington, D.C. recently. He said, we took the PC tour. He said, and what I mean by that is when they lead you past the Supreme Court building, he said, they told us that you see Moses holding those stone tablets. He said, our tour guide told us that that's the Bill of Rights. The pastor said, it's the first time I ever heard tell of a Bill of Rights being written in Hebrew. We're at war with God. A lot of people are. Our world is at war with God. God calls for wisdom.
just wise up. Just wise up. I'm sure some of you have been as frustrated as I have sometimes with people. It is almost like in their life they lay their hand on the kitchen table every morning and frail it with a hammer. And they can't figure out why it hurts all day long. And then they get up the next morning and that old hand that's sore and swollen and fevered and full of pus, they hit it again. It is almost like when people have decided to rebel until God Almighty touches their heart and convicts them, they're never going to change. Thankfully, there is a refuge. There is a refuge of hope if we would just turn to it. It calls for wisdom. God, secondly, and last of all, calls for worship. Verse 11, worship the Lord, he said. This is how you're going to get through 2022. Worship the Lord. Worship means to show him worth, give him value, make him important in your life, and rejoice with trembling. He says, do homage to the Son. The word here in the Hebrew can also be translated to kiss the hand of. To kiss the hand of. I love the Greek word for worship. It is proskuneo. And pros means toward and kiss, to kiss toward. And the Greeks would use this word to describe how a dog would come along and get under his master's hand and begin to lick. We call it giving us sugar. I think the dogs just call it licking. I haven't been to the meetings lately, but... But that's how they would describe proskuneo. Now, we translate the same word as worship, to kiss toward. You know, I, 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 I've got an old dog, Roscoe, that he amazes me. He'll come from out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, I feel something on my hand. And it's just like, and I don't know how much dogs know and don't know. I haven't figured that out. This is the smartest one that I've ever had. But he'll kiss my hand. Man, I always said in my life, I said I'd never have a dog that bite somebody. I despise dogs that bite people. But I have to tell you, if I'm with him, I'll tell you what I tell people when I take him to tractor supply. They say, can I pet him? I say, yep. You just can't pet me. And you can. You can wrestle him in the floor. Give me a big bear hug and he don't know you. We're going to have an incident. I'm telling you, it's incredible. This dog will come up and just out of nowhere kiss my hand. And I have to tell you this. If I don't, Loretta will. Every night when I go to bed, he comes to the bedroom. He hops up on the bed. This is a blue healer. This is not one of them little $80 haircut jobs named Fifi. He piles up on that bed. He comes to my face. And for at least three to five minutes, he kisses me goodnight every night. I told Loretta years ago I liked a good, long, goodnight kiss. 
she says, you got it. <laughs> Old sloppy one, too. And I, I don't want to read into this, but she can call him over to her and say, well, give Mama sugar and he'll lick her one time. <laughs> we need to worship God like that. That dog thinks I'm his whole world. When I'm going somewhere, he wants in the truck. Where are we going? He don't care. I could tell him and he wouldn't know. It doesn't matter. Has no idea where we're going. He doesn't care how long we're going to stay. It doesn't matter. That's how we have to worship God. That's how that dog shows value to me. And I know he's just an animal. But I'm saying to you, the way we show value to God is when he gets in the truck, we get in the truck. Where you're going doesn't matter. How long are you staying? What will it cost me? None of that matters. We show God that kind of homage. God says if you want to get through 2022, start right now today worshiping God like that. Derek Kidner, he's a New Testament theologian. He says this, there is no refuge from him, only refuge in him. We can find our refuge in God this year. And those are three things that I promise you we're going to have this year. We're going to have the rage of the heathen. It won't be out of the sight of God. He'll see it. We'll have a response from heaven. But we also have a refuge of hope. Put our faith and trust in God Almighty. Almighty God. I stood here in this pulpit this time last year and had no idea, no idea. I knew I'd been in an accident. That was horrific. I mean horrific. Had no idea that right over here I had a little knot in my colon. I wasn't planning on that. I had no idea that I'd have cancer in 2021. Matter of fact, it was already in me. I had no idea. God got me through it. It hit me like a ball bat. It really took me aback. I, I, I'm almost embarrassed about how poorly I handled it. I, it broke me. I wept for a couple of days. Things were up for grabs. Man, I worried poor Frank to death. <laughs> what does it look like? I remember when Frank come to give me the news, walked down the hall to give me the news that it's not spread anywhere else. It's in that one spot and we can get. He walked down the hall and he kind of had a grimace on his face. And when he told me the news, I mean, he just, I said, Frank, get a different look for coming down the hall, dude. Sing. Man. I'm just telling you, you don't know, and I don't know either what the future holds. And I don't want to sound cliche, but I know who holds a future, friend. I know who holds a future. If I'm not even here at the end of this year, you'll know where I'll be. Because I've taken my refuge in him.
Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for loving us like you do. Why you didn't just send all the world into the abyss, God, when we turned against you and believed a lie. When we could not resist the forbidden fruit, Lord. When we decided we wanted to be like you and know what you know, and we bought into a lie that that could happen, God. As human beings, Lord, you could have just wiped us out of the universe. But you didn't. Lord, I I don't even know why. Why would you want to show who you are to something, to, to create this universe and put a little rock in the middle of it somewhere called earth and have us live here and to reveal yourself, God. You never had to do that, but you did. Lord, you love us and you care for us, and we thank you for that. And I pray, God, right now, you would help us as a church. Help us, Lord, to get serious about serving you. If this world has not proven that it, 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 it has nothing to offer, we can work more, have more money, what will we buy with it? There's nothing here that's worth anything, God. I pray, Father, we would focus on you. Let the heathen rage. They're going to, Lord. We know that. And we know, God, that they have caused you no consternation and no fear. I pray we would rejoice in that and take courage in that, God. And I pray, Lord, we would seek you as our refuge. Not our finances. Not a good health report, because that can change. Not our children, Lord. We're not guaranteed to even have them tomorrow. Our grandchildren. The things in life here that mean so much to us. Lord, the only thing that we know for certain that we will have tomorrow is you. Help us not to forget that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.